0: It's uh, a great joy just to be able to come back and share a bit more from uh, the book of Revelation uh, chapters 1 to 3 and uh, this morning we are, as I mentioned to the children, um, we're talking about the church in Smyrna and uh, for those that are coming uh, this morning visiting for the first time, um, the church. We've managed to get to this after a couple of previous uh, sessions, and so you can go back and find these uh, recorded elsewhere. But um, the the, the seven churches are in uh, Asia Minor, um, and the Apostle John uh, uh, has been commanded by Jesus to write a letter uh, of a vision that he was given uh, to the seven churches. Now, John is probably in his 80s or 90s at this particular time in his life. He's a a Roman slave prisoner uh, on the island of Patmos. And uh, this letter has been uh, sent to the churches, identifying the seven churches by name, and it introduces Christ to them uh, in a very special way. And John's description of Christ in the vision is an incredibly powerful uh, description. Uh, and when he meets with Christ in this vision, he can't even stand on his feet. He, he faints uh, and lands on the ground at the feet of the risen Christ. And uh, so th- it's, a, it's an astoundingly powerful uh, vision and description that we're being given here. And the letter provides detail on how Christ sees his church. Um, and how he wants to communicate with them, and his assessment, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson suggests, is like a like an X-ray or a scan, and the letter is the report from that X-ray that has been given to each of the churches. And so, the last time we looked um, we, uh, at this portion of scripture, we saw uh, the, the church at Ephesus, and uh, we discovered there um, how. Jesus knows what we do. He knows where we live. He knows how we respond to certain things and to the challenges around us. Um, He challenges that church over its first love, which has been lost. And he calls the church to repent for what they have done wrong in that context. And uh, uh, the church, if it continues in the vein that it's been going has a great danger of losing its right to be a church. It says that the candlestick, uh, that right to be a church, uh, will be removed. And he encourages us to do what is righteous in his eyes um, and tells us to that, that if we overcome, we will eat of the tree of life in his paradise, which is a remarkable uh, situation, a beautiful Um, vision there for us to see as well. So we're going to come now and talk about the church in Smyrna, verses 8 to 11. So let's pray just before we do so. Heavenly Father, again, we want to give you thanks for your grace and for your goodness. We thank you for your Word, which you have described uh, as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we do pray that you will shine your light uh, upon your Word and with your Word, into our lives, uh, so that we might be able to walk with you. Be with us now. Allow your spirit to lead us into all truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm I'm very grateful to the the work of uh, Reverend John uh, MacArthur uh, and also to Murray McShane for uh, their insights on these uh, verses and uh, it's wonderful to be able to, to see what they are saying um, and how that can uh, illuminate uh, the Scripture to us. Um, this third episode is a study into uh, the churches, as I said, in Asia Minor. And Smyrna is the second of these churches. And it has been written to uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ via the Apostle John in his uh, exile uh, on, the, on the island of Patmos, um, and we're going to be seeing this uh, this um, uh, study into Smyrna in the context of suffering. Much later on than what the, the point that we're at here uh, in John's uh, lifetime, uh, there was a young man um, called Polycarp, who was a a, a child, a young man uh, during. Um, the Apostle John, I beg your pardon, the Apostle John's lifestyle, lifetime. Um, Polycarp was just a young Christian and he was discipled by the Apostle John and he eventually grew up um, to become a very strong Christian believer. At one time, um, he became the Bishop of Smyrna. He had developed and grown in the Word of God and became that bishop Uh, in Smyrna and history tells us uh, that he died a martyr he was bound and he was burned at the stake and then because the fire would not consume him uh, they had to stab him to death with a spear because the the fire wouldn't consume his body and burn his body which is a very strange story and and, uh, uh, interesting from history books that they would put that there he was probably about 86 years old when he was martyred, and, uh, but he was a young man during the Apostle John's uh, time. And uh, so his his life was one where he would not renounce uh, his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he would not call Caesar Lord, and that became uh, his end. And Polycarp was one of these guys who confronted all of the heretical teachings that were trying to come in on the church and were were infiltrating into the church and one of these people was a guy called Marcion who uh, was a a Gnostic teacher and uh, he he called him the firstborn uh, of Satan. He really went for him and uh, he bumped into him in Rome one day and he basically confronted him with that false teaching that he was bringing in and Polycarp then became one of these people who was responsible for converting a lot of people from Gnosticism uh, into uh, the true church of Jesus Christ. And, of course, Gnosticism was one of these um, uh, false teachings that, that taught that the resurrection didn't actually really happen. It just kind of appeared to happen. And uh, that was very little significance uh, to the church, and therefore we shouldn't really think about it all that much. But, of course, um, we know today that the resurrection is very central uh, to uh, our belief and uh, so we need to understand that we we can't allow that kind of teaching to come into the church and even in modern day times some churches are beginning to uh, teach that well we don't really have to believe in the resurrection to be a Christian one of the emergent churches is doing that at this moment in time Uh, that we don't really have to believe in the the virgin birth, we don't really have to believe in the resurrection, etc., to be a Christian. But, of course, that is uh, totally false. And uh, so we need to uh, really trust in what God's Word says and believe the truth of the the, the resurrection as well as the virgin birth. And uh, our gospel is very much based on uh, reality and truth. And so, uh, this man, Polycarp, was a challenging character. And he lived um, during the Apostle John's time, and he was martyred much later after uh, John died. And so, his name in Greek means much fruit, and that's a wonderful name to have uh, to, to describe the ministry of this man. And so, we come to Smyrna um, and uh, it was about 50 miles away, north of Ephesus, where we looked at last time. And uh, it was a port, and it was it was a wonderful place to live. It had um, defensive uh, boundaries, and uh, it had good inland connections. It, it rose to prominence because it was an education centre, and it was a medical uh, place. Medical excellence was part of its its um, its life, and so. It was a wonderful place for people to live And it gathered people into it And it was described as being The most beautiful city in Asia At one time However it had one problem And uh, that was that the architects When they designed it Didn't design the sewers very well (laughs) And uh, so the sewers used to overflow Into the city So this beautiful city Had a a horrible stench uh, Around it at times And uh, so uh, even with all of that, though, it won um, a, a big uh, competition at the time um, to, um, to build a temple to Tiberius, And so it was uh, well thought of uh, amongst the people of the area. And so when Jesus comes to speak to this church, he is obviously aware of all of its history and of all of its situation, and he sees it. As a faithful church. He sees it as a faithful church. And McShane um, comments on this. And, and he suggests that. Was, was there nothing about this church. Or about these people. That, uh, that was unable to be identified. Um, as a fault by Christ. He says this. What? What? Were the Christians of Smyrna so holy that even the eye of Christ did not see any fault? Well, we can get no comfort from that, he says. For if Jesus were to send us a letter, it would be full of blame. Not like us they are washed, no, like us they are washed in the blood and clothed in the righteousness. Therefore, he saw them all as fair. And that's a wonderful thing to say that the that even when Jesus looks on us and he sees a a good church, a church moving on, a church teaching the word of God, he sees us with all of our faults, he sees us uh, through Christ as being fair, clothed in his righteousness. And so we begin to read in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 8, and it says there, to the angel, or has been described as the messenger or the pastor, of the church at Smyrna, right? These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. Now, as I say, the word angel um, is, is often um, translated as messenger or even pastor of the church. And uh, so that's an interesting thing. And we've got a new pastor coming to our church here, And uh, Andy Pearson. We're delighted to have Andy. Uh, and his wife and family here now and he will be inducted as as Stephen has been saying just a few minutes ago uh, later on this month and we're absolutely delighted to have him here Um, we're delighted that he has agreed to come to this church Um, he's not Polycarp (laughs) and so we do hope that he won't be martyred at any time Um, he's committed to preaching though faithfully the word of God And to serve as the angel or the messenger of the church that God has planted and put in place here. It's interesting that some of the churches of Asia Minor are no longer there. They don't exist anymore because they didn't uh, preach the word of God and continue to preach the word of God. And so Andy has come as our angel, as our messenger if you like. The one who hears the word of God and preaches it to his people. And uh, so we would do well to permit the Lord to speak to us through him and uh, be obedient to the Word uh, and also to pray uh, that, uh, like Polycarp, if you like, that he will bear much fruit in his ministry here. And we really do pray that, that there will be a tremendously fruitful ministry uh, that comes to us. And so we thank God for for Andy and his family uh, as they come. And it says here, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. Jesus is reminding uh, this faithful church that he is the faithful one from whom all faithfulness is derived and inspired. His faithful promise of the resurrection and ongoing promise of attendance to the church and his people remains solid even in our generation now. We need to have confidence in Him and trust in Him and believe that He will be with us. This tells us, this portion tells us that Smyrna is going through a difficult time and they will continue to go through difficult times. But he says, I'm the first and the last. The one who came to life again. Now, It's interesting that that introduction comes to us, because the great god of Smyrna um, was one called Dionysus, and he was uh, supposed to be one who dispensed joy and fertility, and he dispersed uh, sorrow and care. And there was a myth that grew up around Dionysus, that he had risen from the dead. And Christ is confirming to his people that he is the first and the last and that he's risen from the dead, that he is not in competition with this Dionysus. In fact, he is saying, I'm the one who has risen from the dead and I am the one first and I'm the one last who has risen from the dead. It's wonderful that we have that uh, specific detail given to this church who are going through such a difficult time. Verse 9, it goes on to say there, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan." Here is a church that's—they're uh, going through afflictions. I know your afflictions, and we wonder why that might be the case. Why is this wonderful, holy, godly people going through afflictions? Well, Isaiah forty-eight gives us some in- indication as to why that might be the case. In verse ten and eleven, it says, "There, see, I have refined you, though not as silver." I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own name's sake and for my own sake I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. And so even through these difficulties of afflictions, God is saying, I'm doing this to you and you will see that that will bring glory To my name. And so we can take real hope uh, in times of affliction that God is using these to strengthen us and to put us uh, into the center of his glory for his life. And so he says also, I see your poverty. I know your poverty. The church is always working amongst the poor. And that would be no bad thing if the church was um, amongst the poor. And these people may well have been working amongst the poor all the time. Because this was a rich city, and but they're always poor. Jesus said that himself, you will always have the poor with you. Perhaps, however, their poverty may have been as a direct result of their stance against the riches and at the, ex- at the expense Uh, of their souls. You know, the the Bible tells us uh, that we, in Matthew, that we are called to be a people who forgive, uh, who give up uh, our lives on this earth in order that we might have life with Him. And so, our soul is so important that we do not lose our soul to this world, and very often people sell their soul to the devil. We've heard it so, so many times that we, they sell their soul to the devil. And yet Jesus says, no, I want to give you life that you won't get anywhere else. Then he talks about slander in verse 9. I see the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not. So these people are going through difficult times, affliction, poverty, and slander. And slander is just basically a kind of of blasphemy. It's kind of saying something that's contradictory to God, because God is saying these are good people, and the world is saying, no, they're not. It's it's a crime, really, against someone's reputation. And uh, we need to be aware that the enemy, the devil, wants to slander the people of God. He says here that that slander is coming from those that are Jews, um, or at least who say they are Jews but are not, they're only by name. And sometimes we have the same situation here by people who who say they are Christians but they're not. And they need to, um, they sometimes slander what God is doing in a particular place because they are uncomfortable with it. And so, very often, liberal Christianity um, is in that situation. We find that pro- the problems come as a result of that. And I think it's uh, J. Gresham Machen who says that liberal Christianity is not Christianity at all. It's something else. And uh, if you ever get a chance to, to read Machen's book on, on liberal Christianity, it's a, an eye-opener. It's an excellent book and one that I would recommend to anybody. It's a wonderful book to read. And so, here we have a situation where these people are going through really difficult times, afflictions, poverty, and slander. And yet, they are remaining faithful uh, to the Lord. James 2 says this, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom is promised to those who love him and so poverty can actually bring us into a place where we inherit God's riches and God's faith and trust so that we can live our lives moving on to verse 10 it says here do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer and here is Jesus these guys have already been going through suffering and difficult times and he's informing them that there's going to be more And uh, it's a a difficult time for them all. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison uh, uh, to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Now, I don't know if there's a great deal of significance in the 10 days. Some people think that's probably just a round number um, or or a a given period of time. Um, But it's it's a difficult uh, period, whatever uh, is the situation. And he's encouraging them, be faithful even to the point of death. And so, these people are not getting away easy. It's not an easy life that they have been called to. They have been called to take up their cross. They've been called to go through a difficult period of time. And so, these challenges come to them day after day. They spend their life uh, looking to Jesus for the help that is required to be able to get through these difficult times. Luke chapter 21, verse 16 to 19 says this, You will be betrayed even by your parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Now, of course, we don't need to take that literally in the sense of our hair perishing uh, or being damaged, but uh, it's, it's God's providence at work. He will look after us, it's really saying. Stand firm and you will win life. You see, the devil is intent on the church's destruction. He hates the church. He hates God's people. And he is intent on bringing destruction. And yet Jesus is telling us and speaking to his church in this difficult circumstance and scenario. That he will be with them. That this is a test. It's for a period of time. And he says be faithful even to the point of death. And as we spoke about earlier on, he is the one who will raise us up um, again. And he says here... Very interesting, he says, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. I will give you life as your victor's crown. Now, it's an interesting thing. Also with this God, Dionysus, uh, he was uh, given uh, a crown as a reward for presiding over worship. worship. Um, His priests, should I say, were given crowns for, for, for presiding over worship ceremonies. And so this, these priests, if they came in and looked after all the worship of Dionysus, they would be given a crown. But Jesus is telling his people here that they, if they, if they survive this, or if they go right through to the point of death even, that they will receive a victor's crown. And, uh, you know, I I'm, I'm going to quote something that will certainly age me when I quote it. Um, and some of you may remember this as well. But I remember... An old hymn when I was a child. And uh, before we had telly and all the rest of it, um, there was a time before telly and before internet, by the way. Um, Before all of that, we used to sing at night in our home. And we would sing, there was an old hymn we used to sing, and it would say this, A robe of white, a crown of gold, a harp, a home, a mansion fair, a victor's palm, a joy untold are mine when I get there, and I can see perhaps some of you at home are even bobbing around remembering that hymn. Um, But it's a truth that Jesus wants to make clear to us, that any death that comes to our physical frame is not the end for us who believe in him. We are called to be raised up again with him on the last day. And it says there in verse 11, whoever has ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, the one who is is victorious will not be hurt by the second death. And uh, we we talk about the first death, which is people dying of of old age or a car accident or disease or something. But then there's the second death, and that's our soul uh, that dies. And Jesus saying that we, we as Christian believers will not die with the second death. So why do we suffer? We suffer because we live in a fallen world. We suffer because we are sinners, and we muck up, and we suffer as a result. And we suffer because Jesus wills that we suffer to test us. And that's difficult for us to understand, and it's challenging to to cope with at times. And yet, we must trust Him and live for Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. Paul speaks there about Jesus, um, and he, he calls on, on God, who is the God of all comfort. And he tells us there, in these few verses, that that even though we suffer with lots and lots of troubles, that the comfort that we receive at that time will also help us to comfort others who have come into trouble as well. Uh, and he talks about the God of all comfort in verse 4, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort ourselves uh, we ourselves have received from God. And so there is a purpose in our suffering. There is a purpose in trouble coming into our lives. And at times we don't understand it and we don't get it. But there is a God in heaven who is managing and is over our lives and will bring us through and abundantly help us in these situations. And so this morning, we are coming to the end of what I wanted to say to you. We are a church who has got a a mission to reach the community in which we live, and yet that may bring suffering upon us in this particular generation in which we live. There is a challenge ahead of us and we are called to walk with Jesus through it. Who knows where this will all end? At this moment in time we don't know, but we can be sure that the church will have challenges and we as members of the church will have difficulties. But there is a God who is with us, who comforts us, who looks after us and takes us to be with himself in the end. So what have we learned We need to allow the Lord uh, to bring us to be a faithful and fruitful church. We need to trust Him to do that. Even a church with no identifiable problems can go through afflictions, problems, and slander, and a test sent from the Lord. Gaining the whole world um, and drawing that to ourselves may be at the expense, and the Bible says will be at the expense, of our own own souls. And that is a great loss to us. We will suffer in this world. And it's a major challenge to us. If we are faithful to the point of death, we will receive a victor's crown. One given to us by Christ himself. And we are shepherded, by the one who died and came to life again. We are eternally safe with him. He says, I know what you're going through, and he'll be with us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we again give you thanks for your goodness. We thank you for the blessing that comes through your word. And though there are many challenges that as we read your word As believers, we want to trust in you. And today we bring our lives before you and we present our lives to you and we say, Lord, we trust you because you are eternal. You are over all things. And you have been careful to bring your word to us, to encourage us, to uh, alert us to things, to show us the way. And yet, Lord, The challenges come that we do not understand. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us today to put our whole trust in you, no matter what the circumstances around us dictate, but that we will trust you in every way. Be with us now here and for all of our friends at home and uh, for our children. Going back to school tomorrow We ask, Lord, that you'll be with each one of them and that, Lord, one day you'll draw us together again, that we can rejoice in the fact that we love you together. Be with us now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.